This is the fourth Sunday in Lent. Uh, it's Rose Sunday. We're privileged to have a set of rose vestments, so we get to wear them. And um, the tone for Rose Sunday in the old liturgy was sort of uplifting, and it is now, too. Uh, the word uh, letare um, was the, the Latin word that opened the introit in the old liturgy. So when the, the uh, clergy and the sanctuary party walked in, uh, that was what the choir sang. So that uh, is where we get the name from. And what I want to do in my sermon is to do the recapitulation I've been doing the last three weeks about Lent and the themes, to say something briefly about the reading from Joshua, which we don't hear from much, and then Second Corinthians, which at the end has my second favorite uh, New Testament quote, uh, since we are ambassadors for Christ, God is making his appeal through us, and it is preceded by uh, Paul talking about something that is at the heart of the Lenten themes. And then we have the famous story of the prodigal son from Luke's gospel. It's one of the best. And uh, I really, really like it, so I want to preach on that as well. The three themes during the season of Lent are repentance, reconciliation, and godly motives. You know, another thing, godly motives is kind of awkward, I think, but it means personal integrity and having uh, the desire to um, uh, work on your character defects and to uh, develop a way in which you understand uh, how you might... Uh, become the human being that you're called to be in the areas that maybe aren't working as well as they might. So those are the things we do. We want to change the direction where we look for happiness. We want to understand our role as reconcilers in the world. And this happens often mainly in our family system and how we relate to people nearest us in the workplace and so forth. But it's broader than that in terms of uh, the necessity that all of us have uh, to labor for reconciliation in, in the wider culture so that we're, we're reconciled to people that are different from us and they with us in ways that um, produce fruit and benefit for everybody. So those are the, the main themes. But today we get to Joshua. And Joshua now is sort of the successor to Moses in the sense of leading the people. He's the military leader. And here's what's happened today. We have now the transformation of the people of Israel from a wandering gang who came out of slavery. That's, I'm, I'm talking to you about the narrative, not about uh, the historical issues that are around the Exodus and all of those things. But in the narrative, uh, they have come through the wilderness wandering. They were slaves in Egypt. They're now coming out. They have been led by Moses. Uh, they've had many three steps forward, two steps back uh, for 40 years. Remember Jerry Witherspoon, God rest his soul. Uh, he uh, calculated that if uh, the people of Israel in the biblical narrative left Egypt and got to the promised land, uh, if they were this number of people uh, with all the men, women, and children, the animals, everything they took with them, it probably would take them about three weeks. 
he was a military man. He knew how to. And uh, he said, it took 40 years. All right. So during this 40-year period, people lost sight of a lot of things. One of them was the, the shape of the uh, uh, observance of what we call Judaism in the desert in its founding period uh, was sort of amorphous. And today's a story about how it came together. And they get to the promised land, and the manna stops that God gives, had given them to help them with their, with their uh, journey and their, the food problem, even though they continuously kvetched about having to eat this manna all the time. They got tired of it. Is there anything else? You know, that sort of thing. We don't, we don't like it. We're tired of it. And you brought us out here. And so here they establish a site, Gilgal. I won't say in a public meeting what that really means. We'll leave it alone. You may speak to me privately if you wish, but I'm not going to say this to you. In any case, they come to Gilgal, and it's really an affirmation of the beginning of themselves as a people with some kind of cohesive uh, religious observance and a self-identification. It sort of comes to uh, coming to uh, coming to fruition of what Moses did for them as the leader, which was always to turn their gaze from the place of remembered good times to the future, where they will receive a new and deeper self-understanding and a new definition of who they are as a people and a deeper and clearer understanding of God's purposes for them, not by looking at the past, but by looking at the future. And now Joshua has brought them in, and we're going to begin this process now. And so it's a story about how we have alienation, exile, coming out of slavery, and now some sense of completion. It's read today because it has some parallels to the prodigal son story. And we'll read that the prodigal son had hit bottom. The prodigal son was on his back, and he was eating uh, the, the food that the pigs, uh, there's a whole lot of sub-issues in there for sure. And he now comes out of that and comes back and receives restoration. So Joshua is affirming the abiding presence of God through this long process. And Paul is rehearsing to his readership in 2 Corinthians uh, the importance of reconciliation. And he points out, and this also relates to the prodigal son, uh, God reconciled us to him through, through the power of the mighty works of Jesus Christ. And by virtue of that, we are now in a position to understand our role in this because Paul keeps saying we should be reconcilers. We should be reconciled with one another. God has no other way to do that but through us. We are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. It's not from some other magical resource that this occurs. And so the processes of reconciliation are absolutely necessary. And think about it from his own thought world. He is inside Judaism. And he comes to understand that um, we now need to see how our gaze moves outwardly, outward. So he, in one sense, is not repudiating his past, 
but he understands that God's reconciling work is even bigger than he had thought as a pious Jew. And that somehow this reconciling work in Christ is not just for the people of the covenant, him and others, but for everybody. Remember, I said this to you before. If Paul says in more than one place, if the great judgment were to come now, I am blameless. I am absolutely blameless before God. I have dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's. I'm not in the least worried about that. But what we need to realize is that this message is for everybody. It isn't just for uh, the people of the covenant, you know. And I'm not saying this because I'm worried and nervous about whether my, my post-mortem bliss is in jeopardy. I have done all of the things I'm supposed to do. So we don't want to worry about that at all. It sort of takes away the view that Paul was kind of a neurotic. Now, Martin Luther, on the other hand, that's another question. <laughs> but Paul is less, uh, less, less concerned about that and his own uh, self-indictment about, about this sort of thing. But this reading today is about part of the Lenten journey is learning how to be a reconciler. And what does it mean? And these skills might have come in handy uh, in the story of the prodigal son uh, for the father, uh, for the prodigal son, and for the oldest son, who is miffed mightily. So the story, by the way, here, because I've said that you know the breathless tour, the synoptic problem, or the synoptic theory, this story appears only in Luke's Gospel. And so it is part of the special L. Remember, Matthew and Luke have their own material that doesn't appear in any of the other Gospels, Mark, Matthew, or Luke. It appears only in there from a, their own source. And for Matthew, it's called Special M. And for Luke, it's called Special L. So this is Special L we're hearing from today and it is unique to Luke and he tells this wonderful story about the prodigal son the prodigal son tells his father um, you know you haven't died yet and I'd like to have my share of the of the estate and so his father gives it to him now in in the ancient Near East where this story takes place uh, there's a whole lot of issues about land and about what it, what is you know constitutes this uh, inheritance. And what it would, mean, would have meant is, is that the son would have sold off uh, the portion that he gets in land, which means that when his father did this, he diminished his holdings significantly, the size of his property. And so he did this, gave this guy his inheritance. The guy cashes out, and he goes to a far country where, it says, he squandered his fortune on dissolute living. This is one of the places I prefer the authorized version, is the, the King James Bible, because it says he wasted his substance on riotous living. <laughs> Doesn't that sound kind of like kick out the jam and put this puppy in overdrive, right? That's, that's what we're going to do. 
So he finds himself now with nothing on his back, and he's working for a guy in a far-off country who puts him in charge of the pigs. Now, in, you know, the world, the, being in charge of the pigs was pretty low. And he was eating the same food that the pigs ate and was glad to have it. And then there's the great line in this gospel, which uh, I hope has happened to you at least once in your life, where it says, and he came to himself. He came to himself. You know? He had a moment of clarity. And he realized that what he needed to do was to go back to his father for... um, to make amends, and uh, so forth. So he goes back, and he is completely restored by his father and forgiven absolutely. Now, there are some things about this story. If you read it for the purposes of meditation and reflection, you can think about. First of all, uh, when someone decides to do this, as the prodigal son did, he believed that he could dictate the terms of his return. So when all of us uh, move to uh, uh, the process of healing, uh, the development of character, the understanding of what it is that we ought to do, we think that we're in charge of that. So we're going to come and do it on our, 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 I'll tell him, I'll just be like one of the slaves, you know, I'll, I'll do, you know, this is extravagant kind of, I'm going to turn over a new, I'm going to do this. Uh, and his father forgives him unconditionally. And so he comes back and is greeted this way, and his father has a feast for him. And then we have the next deal in the whole family system. And that's the older son who's working in the fields. And he comes back. And he comes up to the house or wherever it is, and he sees... There's a big celebration going on, and he asked one of the people, his father's minions, what's going on? And he said, uh, your brother has returned, and he's killed the fatted calf, and we're having a party, and he's angry about it. Do you feel ever that when somebody who you believe doesn't deserve it gets forgiven or comes out on top in some way that you have been diminished because of your um, uh, upright behavior over time. You've dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's. And all of a sudden, here's a guy who has wasted his substance on prostitutes, it says in the text, and he's now welcome back without any... uh, Qualifications, unconditioned. He's back. The hardest texts in the in the New Testament, I think, often for me have been stories like this, or when Jesus says something like, "The unrighteous are going to get into the kingdom of God before you. They come in first. And you think, how can that be? And why should I behave uh, in any kind of uh, upright way, ethically, morally, if this is going to be the case?
And this is a story about that. The oldest son bellyaches to his father about the fact that his son has been back. And he said, I've been loyal to you all along. This guy has behaved badly. And now you're just letting him in. I just don't understand it. And his father says, you know, you've been with me all along and everything I have is yours. Don't feel so upset. He's returned now. And so we're greeting him. You know, you haven't suffered behind this. You just resent it. I think a lot of people believe that the mercy of God is a zero-sum game. Which means that if God's mercy is, is extended to someone who we don't think deserves it, it diminishes what we're going to get out of this deal. You know? That somehow all of our good efforts count for nothing. And it simply isn't true. In some way, we, we need to understand that uh, this is a, an example of what it means, uh, even within a family, to practice some form of reconciliation. Now, here's the thing. We live in a therapeutic culture and have for, you know, 40 or 50 years in this country. And so uh, there have been some insights that have come to us through being in the therapeutic culture. And one of them is that in families or in wider collections of people who are interlinked, uh, sometimes it isn't safe to bring the prodigal son back. He or she can't come back because it isn't safe for the other people or for them. We have to understand how we stay connected, right? But how we keep the appropriate distance for everybody's health and safety. And what kind of um, uh, guidelines do we place on this process of reconciliation that preserves the integrity of everybody and their safety and yet allows uh, for uh, the distance uh, or, or for the connection that is, is there? I think uh, loving our children unconditionally is an absolute um, uh, command for people who are parents, but I also think that it means that you can love them un unconditionally, but sometimes you can't be around them too much, nor they you, and it's okay. It's okay. So the process of healing and transformation is something that takes time, and everybody has to demonstrate the integrity of their you know, this, we're reading about the prodigal is just at the party. Now, the question is, what is the prodigal going to do tomorrow morning? Right? What is he going to do tomorrow morning? The extension has been made of the unconditional acceptance, forgiveness, and love. But what's he going to do? And if he does something that reinforces his, his commitment to reconciliation and uh, contrition, then we continue on. But if not, there's going to have to be some period of time where there's de a demonstration that somebody is really means business about what they're, they're, they're going to do. So I think uh, people living in 2013 might qualify this uh, story a little bit to say we maybe need to understand that there are some limits on this. Now, 
sweeping idealism about unconditional love, acceptance, and forgiveness. You can still have those things, but you need to understand that it's important to uh, protect yourself and to protect those near and dear to you in the process of doing this. So maybe that's something we learn from this parable. Uh, this parable was, is introduced in the gospel today with the Pharisees and the scribes uh, criticizing Jesus because he, he eats with outcasts and sinners, which means that he was not observing the Jewish uh, table dietary laws. And this was considered a very, a very bad thing indeed. And Reginald Fuller, the great biblical scholar, said years ago, when Jesus eats with outcasts, it is not just humanitarian broad-mindedness, as though the laws of God or the Pharisaic regulations did not matter. It is God breaking through the condemnation of his own law in order to reach out and save the lost. So we live in a paradox, don't we? We have these laws and rules that uh, many people are th think are important, and yet at the same time, God can reach out beyond those things to seek and save the lost. And so if we see that in some way as saying, then how do I act? Is it possible for you to move out of the way in which you normally behave and think is right and would commend to people and continue to live in your own life, but sometimes suspend that for the purpose of uh, saving somebody or being available to them? So the story of the prodigal son kind of uh, places a conundrum before the reader or the listener. And that's part of its genius. Uh, give thanks this week for the opportunity to be a reconciler. Give thanks for the extravagance of God's grace. And remember that uh, all through your spiritual pilgrimage, you have the abiding presence of God who will never leave. Amen. Amen.